on the show today. We'll again be discussing Transformation Church and Mike Todd. Also, the chaos causing large companies to close and relocate. And are we uh, hearing the first whispers of the Antichrist? (laughs) After that, we'll be discussing Chapter 5 of Knowing Sin by Mark Jones. All right, let's get to it. Happy Earth Day, the day where we celebrate the creation more than the creator, which is probably every day that ends in a Y here, but today is special. Uh, It's the day we celebrate the scientist who would suggest you abort your children to save the trees. So in honor of Earth Day, we are going to skip worshiping the creation and instead we're going to worship the creator. And we're going to do that with a little bit of Francis of Assisi. So. Uh, Not actually Francis of Assisi, but it's a song he wrote. Uh, Let's give it a listen. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. This is my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And we are so grateful that you're joining us. We're glad that you're here. Um, If you're new, uh, don't let the name fool you. We consider ourselves very Christian, consider ourselves religious folk. Uh, But the country that we live in uh, is becoming increasingly secular, increasingly religionless, you could say. And that, in part, is where the name comes from. And uh, we're going to be doing what we try to do every Saturday, take a look at the news and try to figure out how to take it all in and still keep our eyes fixed on Christ through it all. So we do have a lot of uh, good, well, not a lot, but good stories to get through. Um, This has the potential of being a pretty lengthy episode. So we want to get into them. But before we get to all of it, is there anything you would like to say? Um, just want to lift up the Stanley family. Um, Charles Stanley has passed away. He was 90 years old. So just pray for the church, all who loved and admired him and his his teaching. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird because we were just discussing him and his son recently. Yeah, lift up the Stanley family. Um, you know, Andy, as we have discussed, we would consider sort of has gone wayward <laughs> from his father's legacy. So you never know what'll shake somebody and bring them back. And, you know, yeah. if hopefully this will be that. Charles Stanley was a very influential man in American Christianity. So hopefully he's resting peaceably with the Lord right now. And um, a praise report in a sense, and then an offer to you guys, if you will. I saw this article. Governor Glenn Youngkin, the Virginia governor, 
donated his entire first quarter salary to the Good News Prison Ministry. So it says he donated around $44,000 to the Good News Jail and Prison Ministry. And why that's important to us is that is the jail ministry that I volunteered with in uh, Florida. Love doing it. It was a great opportunity. But more than that, I think it's a great ministry. I think, you know, people, especially in jail, (laughs) what more do you need besides the gospel? So I'm going to include links, just like everything that we have, every story we cover is going to be in the show notes. Um, But I'll also have links down there for opportunities to give to the Good News Jail and Prison Ministry. They have uh, volunteers and chaplains in, you know, almost every state in prisons all over the country. So you can either go in there, I think, give just generally to the Good News Jail and Prison Ministry, or if you know specific chaplains, specific jails that you would like to donate to, uh, it's a great resource uh, or a great ministry, I would say, to contribute to. So if you're interested, want to lift up an offering or give up an offering, I'm sure they would appreciate it. So, and then just generally consider praying for Nikki and I. We've both been a bit under the weather and uh, hoping to come out of it here stronger and better than ever. So keep us in your prayers. And also, you know, we think used to ask this, but we've kind of been distracted, but I'll have my email down in the show notes. Uh, Please consider emailing us if you have prayer requests or praise reports. If God's doing something amazing in your life, we want to hear about it because we want more reasons to praise God. We know he's doing amazing things, but we don't always hear about it. So consider reaching out to us in the email with prayer requests, praise reports, and we'll certainly be praying for you and praising with you, um, whatever the case may be. Now let's get our plugs out of the way here. You guys know we are big fans of Cardinal Contingency Solutions. I was actually just sharing some stories um, with some with a, a co-worker about some of the uh, owners of Cardinal Contingency, you know, their former military guys, so people know them, and pretty <laughs> funny, pretty outlandish stories, um, but it was a good time. But, you know, as I was thinking about Cardinal this week, you know, if somebody had never you know, heard of Jesus, heard of God, completely faithless or whatever. Like you wouldn't just tell them, hey, you know what, just go buy a Bible and read it. You'll figure it out. That wouldn't be great advice, right? Um, it's a good place to start, but you would tell them to go and find a good church, sit under the teaching of a good pastor that can instruct you. That's what pastors are for. And the same goes for, you know, things that we talk about here, chaos in the country, active shooters, counter-exploitation. You know, a bad strategy strategy is just, well, wait for, you know, the next uh, Chicago riot to start and they come burning my store down or they come burning, you know, Jane's, uh, what's that, Jane's Revenge or whatever. They come and light your church on fire. That's a bad time to go. I guess I'll figure out how to defend my church or handle this chaotic situation. You don't got to do it that way. You could call Cardinal. They're the best in the world at training in this uh, arena, and they can get you trained up so you're not caught unprepared, you know? So just consider, again, they'll be in the show notes. And then, of course, you guys know we are very proud members of the Christian Podcast Community, a place to go and find about 60 or so good Christian sort of 
indie podcast, if you want to call them that. Maybe there's some bigger ones on there, Justin Peters. Um, I will mention this Apologetics Live I watched just the other week, uh, or just this last week, and Andrew Rappaport, who has the Rappaport podcast, he hosts it, and he had an atheist on there who, you know, was kind of arguing against the validity of the New Testament. So Andrew was on there and he brought on James White and they were kind of, you know, discussing the validity of the New Testament, which is always something to help bolster our faith to realize that the Bible we hold in our hand is quite true and quite accurate. And uh, it's the same scriptures that they were reading when the apostles, you know, (laughs) were writing them and they were still walking the earth. So that is, uh, I think, good for the soul. And then lastly, I'll just mention here. We do have links down in the show notes for affiliate links, christianbooks.com, Amazon, I think Best Buy, you know, buy me a coffee. So if you want to help the podcast, but you don't really want to go out of your way to help the podcast, well, if you need to buy something on Amazon, consider using the link down there. It helps us a little bit, doesn't cost you anything extra. And then also, while you're down there, consider dropping a like, maybe leave a comment. Uh, a nice review if you're on the podcast. We would appreciate all those things. All right. That's enough of an intro. So let's definitely cue the music for this week. It is much, much needed. So prepare yourself. Gird up your loins and steal up your soul. Put on the full armor of God for this week as we get ready to take our weekly trek through the valley of the shadow of death take a look at the news of the week. So, uh, as Nikki had mentioned, you know, we really wanted to look at Transformation Church again. Uh, Last week, we discussed their Easter production. Um, You know, the one that Ransom, I think, they put on, you know, Mike Todd. And I did have some discussion, you know, with a brother on YouTube and, you know, mentioned, you know, he kind of jokingly poked me like you know that's the first time like whatever you like realized you had concerns with transformations theology I'm like all right I was trying to be a little bit you know um not not terribly rude or disrespectful because that was really the first time we'd heard or listened to much of anything from transformation church you know really a decent amount of Mike Todd I've heard snippets of him and never good stuff but you want to do your own homework, do your own research in a sense. So I feel like we did that with um, the Easter service. And then over the last week, kind of looking at um, their website, looking at Mike Todd, and we had some time to kind of ponder what we heard, what we saw. And it just really causes us a lot of concern. Uh, So this week, we did want to spend some time discussing Mike uh, and Transformation Church and just what we believe is a very troubling church environment. Uh, And I think it's probably indicative of a lot of church environments that are like Transformation Church. You know, um, you could probably throw like Elevation Church in there and, uh, you know, a bunch of other ones, right? So if you haven't listened to our episode from last week, uh, where we kind of discussed the Easter production, you know, I think we're fair in our discussion on that. But Go give it a listen. Let us know what you think. Uh, We'll have it linked in the show notes, like I've mentioned. Uh, But I think that highlighted a lot of problems with 
what is really just believed and taught at Transformation Church. I think it was, I mean, a good synopsis of what they believe and what they teach. So, yeah, that alone was very telling about the church as a whole, definitely. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of your, that's your Super Bowl as a church, right? You're going to put on, going to put your best foot forward for Easter service. So I think that's a good snapshot. But we wanted to look first at, you know, like, who is Mike Todd? So Mike Todd, according to Transformation's website, he uh, is the co-lead pastor along with his wife, Natalie Todd. Uh, They've been the lead pastors of Transformation since February 2015, though you can't really find any, um, at least I couldn't in my simple sort of searching online, any discussion about his education prior to becoming a pastor. It's not really listed anywhere, which is usually kind of bizarre for a, a lead pastor. Like even Stephen Furtick has his you know, theological education listed. Um, but they're joined in their pastorship by Bree Davis, who's an executive pastor, Tammy McCorders, who's the executive pastor of operations. You have Amberly Bell, who is the executive pastor of ministries. And then Charles Metcalf, who's the executive pastor of experience. Experience. Yeah. Mm, so yeah. Uh, that's, that's very telling too, just that role. That's an odd position there, but we should also mention their newest hire, Carl Lentz, who is on as the church strategist. That's uh, just that's not great. Just the cherry on top there. Yeah. So, you know, we would say right from the jump there, just looking at the about page, you can see error. You know, there's certainly things in the Bible that are confusing or like open for debate, but male headship of the church is not one of them. Like that is a very clearly defined rule that's laid down in scripture. Um, And this we believe is just sort of kind of the start of the problematic teachings from Mike Todd and Transformation Church. And again, I don't believe this is exclusive to them. You know, I would have guessed, I would guess it's common among many of our churches today. I mean, many of the churches Nikki and I Mm -hmm. went to looking back on it now, we're like, yeah, boy, we should have seen something sooner, right? I know I did go to a church in Michigan for a while. I don't know if you went there with me, but um, visiting a couple times, and it was a, a female pastor. I thought that was very strange. I mean, her husband was there, but I just thought that was odd. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think once you veer from those like clearly defined teachings in the Bible, like male headship, you're most likely not just subject to kind of one false teaching, but most likely many. Um, And I think that's what we saw with Transformation Church. You know, as we discussed last week with our Easter service, we saw bizarre things, you know, like not including Adam at all in the story of the fall. Like, how does a church represent the fall and not include Adam? Very weird. Then we heard a song sung from like the supposed uh, Virgin Mary character that kind of highlighted a Mary queen of heaven, sort of Roman Catholicism theology Hmm. Uh, in one, you know, in one of the songs that Mary was singing, she was sort of telling Jesus what he needed to do to get things right. And then we saw teachings in there that God was sort of less than omniscient. He was having to figure out a plan after the fall. Yeah. There's nothing in scripture that talks about, Mary being there in the beginning, 
um, you know, being in on the plan before the world was created. No. The plan for Jesus to save his people. Like, that is kind of weird. That's, that's. No, Mary, Queen of Heaven theology is not found in scripture. Uh, that's somewhere extra biblical. You know, and then we even talked last week about the notion of them sort of making Jesus and Satan appear to be somehow equals, right? Like in the fights that they had, it was a back and forth and not the Jesus that's presented in scripture, right? The all-powerful, omniscient creator of everything. Um, So then you have, you know, those problematic teachings and all of that goes along with a word of faith theology and prosperity gospel preaching. And that's even like right on their website. You know, if you go to their um, their About Us page to Concrete, so if you go on here to their Concrete, you come down and they'll very clearly say health and prosperity. That is part of their teachings there. We believe as a part of Christ's work of salvation, it's the Father's will for believers to become whole, healthy, and successful in all areas of life. So they are a well-defined you know, prosperity gospel, preaching church. And, you know, it's almost like you see the Easter service, you read the website, you hear some of his sermons, and it's basically like every heretical teaching just rolled into kind of one flashy, high-quality production. You know, we've even recently heard him, you know, I think he even did it in his Easter sermon. He kind of talked about the LGBTQ, uh, LGBTQ community um, and he's really at best soft on that issue. He's really soft on those LGBTQ lifestyles. Because he knows those are the people that are at his church. Well, and They're he wants to draw them there. in, but you know, and he's not full on affirming of LGBTQ issues. Like I said, at best he's soft on it. Um, you probably would need more poking and prodding from him to see where he really stands, but um Again, yeah, I think he you pokes see fun a lot at people who want to live holy lives. He's cracked a lot of jokes, um, just about people who might be upset about something they did. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's like, you oh, know those religious people. They might not like this, or and I think that's uh, indicative of a lot of sort of word of faith type teachers. You know, Stephen Furtick. I think I heard a clip from him probably heard it before years ago where he's sort of trashing, you know, the Calvinist church. He's like, ah, oh, if you want to go and get, you know, stuffed or whatever, full of that doctrine, you know, it kind of making fun of people that really wanted to learn a lot of Christian doctrine, which is yeah. a bizarre thing to make fun of Christians about. Like, you really want to go and learn God's word? <laughs> What's wrong with you? You yeah, know, really especially weird. coming from a pastor. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't doubt that there's many, many churches that are like that. It is weird to like, be all about preaching the gospel and not about teaching the word. Yeah. It's super You're not strange. even teaching the full gospel anyway. It's just inviting people to church and because they're there, they're saved or set up prayer and they stay in your church. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of issues there, but I think those are just the theological issues for Mike Todd. And again, I think there's a lot of them. Um, And this was a quote that I got from, you know, Mike Todd responded to sort of the controversy that erupted from his Easter service. And uh, they kind of posted this explanation for his controversial service. But 
down here, this was his thought process as he was producing this Easter play. He said, we're going to the edge on this. And they said, pastor, how far on the edge are we going to go? And I said, we're going to do everything short of sin. Like, <laughs> what like, a... Why is it necessary? What a bizarre thing for a man that should be leading people in righteousness to say to his, his pastoral team, I'm going to walk you right to the edge of the abyss, right? That some of you might even fall off. I mean, we're going to be so close. Like, how is bizarre. It, you should be... you mean, like... Because it will draw in people, they'll be entertained. I would I assume, right? He wanted it to be edgy, flashy, loud, you know, and all the things that it was, right? He want, and some people would say he sinned. I would say he probably sinned in the way yeah. that he represented God and some of the, yeah. the teachings that um, were represented there, right? So, but even in his thought process, I'm going to walk you guys right to the edge of sin. I'm going to get you so close. Why would a pastor have that in his mindset? He gets close to calling sin, sin, if that's what he means. He's afraid to be, you know, just real about it. And he's just too afraid to offend people. So maybe yeah. that's, that's kind of true. But he that is not it. a pastoral mindset. Like a pastoral mindset should be like the, what exemplifies righteousness. We're going to, you know, lift God as high as we possibly can. So everybody sees the glory of him. Now we're going to get right to the edge of sin so we can grab very b bizarre statement. So, uh, but again, you know, once you give in to, like you said, kind of one heresy, I think you're likely to give in to all and there's really nothing kind of restraining you if it's not the word of God. And I think that's what we kind of see with Mike Todd. I wonder what would happen if he just you know, let people know next week, I'm just going to be sharing God's word. I'm just going to read it straight from scripture. Um, I'm not going to soften it. It says what it says and to see how many people come and then just be like, let's see what God does just through his word alone and without entertainment. What yeah. if he said that? How many people would come and really what would happen? He'd be like, this dude's crazy. I got to go see this. A no, lot of people who knows? can't handle that. Like, I know Someone recently, you know, searching, asking about churches to go to, just, um, we're like, where can I go where, you know, the pastor's really good at preaching, like kind of keep me awake. I need the worship to be lively. And they were just kind of saying they need a little extra because they have a hard time staying focused. Like they need the extra stuff. Like they weren't even ashamed to admit that that's what they were looking for. They were pretty well, much and saying. And again, I mean, a lot. Most of these, or at least a lot of these large churches and stuff, that's what they're built around, right? That's the seeker-sensitive model. Um, so a lot of theological issues with Mike Todd and Transformation Church. But I think you can even go to the personal side of Mike Todd, and I think there's problems there as well. You know, I couldn't find a lot about his personal life online. And again, I didn't search super far and wide, but in what I did search, I didn't find a lot about him, but he does have his Instagram page up and he has a lot going on on Instagram. And if you scroll through there, it doesn't take long before you find shirtless pictures of him on Instagram, sort of showing off his weight loss, muscular building journey. Well, that's uh, a part of 
you know, their beliefs, you know, health. He's got to show off that he's healthy. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it does go along with that. But yeah. there's even videos of him sort of like one video where he's holding his wife sort of up by the butt and like rubbing it. And it's a video for a long time, which is bizarre. There's videos of his wife in a bathing suit where he kind of puts text on there about how good she looks in this bathing suit. There's pictures of her in a bikini um, on there. Like just generally not things that you would think a humble servant of God would post on Instagram. Did you comment on it saying that's shameful? And- I didn't, you know, maybe I should go back and say it, but like, <laughs> you know, it doesn't show humility, obviously. Uh, you know, look at how muscular and toned I'm getting as your pastor, but it certainly doesn't show modesty and respect for your wife when you're flaunting her to the world. Is he, does he use his Instagram for like his position as pastor too? Does he, or is yeah, it it's just all personal, like outside of that? Oh, okay. No, it's for all of Mike Todd, you know, and you know, it's just like, you just don't think a pastor would be sort of displaying your wife's body for the world to see, especially considering his wife is a code lead pastor at Transformation, who I imagine gets up on Sundays and preaches the word to a crowd that's probably half full of men who, if they've seen her Instagram or seen her on Instagram, it would be hard to not be like, yeah, she does look good, right? I've seen her in bikinis and bathing suits and I like it, right? Like you're just enticing people to have those thoughts. It's, yeah. again, this is that mindset of like, I'm going to take you right to the edge of sinning. I'm going to show you my wife in a bikini, but don't have bad thoughts about it. Why would you do that, right? It just doesn't make any sense. And I know some people might say like, ah, what does it matter, right? It's just an Instagram page. What does this have to do with anything? Maybe you say like, well, he loves his wife. He finds her attractive. That's all that is. Well, I would just caution and say that at least twice in scripture, Jesus warns his disciples to watch out for the religious leaders because of their lifestyles, not necessarily their teachings. Right. Uh, And you want to read this one, Matthew chapter 23, verse one and two. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe, observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. And Luke 20, verses 45 and 47 say, And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. Who devour widows' houses and, for a pretense, make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Yeah, so be leery of these religious leaders because their lives don't match their teachings, right? So, again, if you're seeing Mike Todd on Instagram and you're like, is that really something you should be doing with your wife? You know, who's it's a weird because he did mention in maybe the Easter service how he used to be addicted to porn. But here he is, like, I mean, it's not porn. It's just his wife in a bikini on Instagram. No, very, again, I would say shameful things for a pastor to do, for anybody to do. And again, like, this is something me and Nikki probably have done 10 years ago or so, you know, before we started waking up spiritually, I would say, you know, that's something that 
Yeah, I do love my wife and I think she's gorgeous. Look, I'm such a lucky man to have a gorgeous wife. But I think as you progress and you sanctified, you realize that like, well, displaying my wife immodestly is sort of like, again, Jesus proclaims woe against people who lead others into sin, that tempt others into sin. Christ proclaims woes against them. Um, But even on this idea of lifestyles, uh, in 1 Timothy and then in Titus, when the Apostle Paul lists the qualifications to be an elder, of the 15 qualifications that Paul lists in 1 Timothy, 13 are lifestyle and only two are about biblical wisdom. So listen to this. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7, he says, The saying is true. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. You could say that's a biblical wisdom one. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his child submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a new convert. So that's probably the second one. Or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into the snare of the devil. So 13 of 15 qualifications to be a pastor, elder, overseer are lifestyle qualifications, which makes sense when Christ tells us you can judge a tree by the fruit. Say what you want. You can get up on stage and have the most flowery language, the greatest orator in the history of the world. But if your lifestyle doesn't match up with your words, then you don't really believe them. That's the problem. And and that's the warning. It's not wrong to call out these self-proclaimed pastors. Like we are supposed to look to scripture and say, do they match up? So we can't say they're anointed and the whole touch not God's anointed verse. Like, no, we're told to do this. We have to put scripture above someone who's seemingly anointed and be like, no, God's word is anointed. (laughs) This person is a liar and a deceiver and making many people walk the wide road. So don't ever be afraid to just question. Well, and they need it too, right? Because Mike Todd, I think is 36 years old, maybe 37. So if he took over being a pastor in 2015, he was, what's that, 28 years old, 27 years old. That's eight years ago. Yeah, so 28 years old, basically. He's a young man. I mean, consider, and maybe 28-year-olds go, I'm mature. (laughs) No, you're not, dude. You know, there might be exceptions. But by and large, you know, I know for me personally, right, 34, 35 is when you start realizing, like, yeah, you're still changing. You're still growing. So You're going to say that in 10 years. Like, I thought I knew. (laughs) I'll be honest. The older I get, the older it takes for you to actually, like, impress me. You know, like, when you're an 18-year-old, you know, when you're a 16-year-old, you think you know everything. And then you become 18 and you're like, dude, shut up, you little 16-year-old. 
But then you're, you know, 18 and a 21 year old's like, shut up, dude. I don't care what an 18 year old has. And like, it only <laughs> like, eventually you're going to be 95 and unless you're 75, I don't want to hear anything you have to say. Um, no, pray for me. But I do think you continue to change. So he became a pastor of a mega church at a very young age. He had never, I mean, I don't think he was qualified. I don't think he had any schooling. Um, cause he said he didn't know how to pastor a church. Yeah. He says in that same statement that we read about bringing people right, you know, just short of sin that yeah. he had no idea how to do an Easter service. So he was like elected. People just wanted him. Well, I would say selected. Selected. Yeah. yeah. So he needs to hear this stuff just the same as we all need to hear. Hey man, you know, you're going astray. What you're doing is wrong. You shouldn't display your wife that way. You shouldn't be, Hey, this is errant teaching by the word of God. <laughs> Let me show you what the Bible really teaches. Mary is not the queen of heaven. <laughs> These sorts of things. Right. At least come out it. and say, hey, this was, you know, I know they had their statement that said this is just creative licensing and all that. But he should at least come out and said, all right, this part was not true. He's kind of corrected any false ideas that could have come from it. Yeah. But again, yeah. you wouldn't produce that if you didn't believe it. Right. You yeah, wrote the songs, right. you put on the plays. So again, he needs correction. And I think as a Christian, you know, we ought to at least be equally concerned with our pastor's lifestyles as we are with his teachings. Again, 13 to 2 is what Paul warns us. You know, so when we're considering what we know and what we've heard from Mike Todd, I think it's right to warn people to steer clear of him and his church. You know, Mike Todd, and I think like so many in the American church today. And I think you can lump in the Joel Osteens, the Stephen Furtick's, and all those oh, people yeah. in here. Their Christianity is sort of all about you. Mm -hmm. um, every book and every verse is about you. You know, yeah, it's not about Jesus. Any prophecy, yeah, people think that's that's for me. Like, right? I mean, we've talked yeah. about the Stephen Furtick, you know, Mo, Moab Moses month, you know, kind of <laughs> sermon, but it's like, oh, well, you know, God parted the Red Sea. How is he going to part the Red Sea in your life? Ugh. Well, Christ was nailed on a cross. God's going to nail your obstacle to the cross, right? Whatever verse you're in, somehow it's all about you. Um, and it's about everything except overcoming your sin. Everything else in life is an issue but your sin. Yeah. Again, that's seeker sensitive, right? Yeah. No one likes to hear about their sin, which is why we discuss knowing sin in our Bible topic. Mm -hmm. um, but we're going to mention this again when we discuss Chicago, you know, but you're, if you're in a church um, where you are the focal point of every sermon, if all the preaching speaks to basically God existing for you, <laughs> you're in the wrong church. And, you know, along with all the heresies, I think that Mike Todd is preaching and presenting. I think this is just another one you can add to the list. You are the central focus in Transformation Church, not Christ. And that's a problem. Um, you can even go on to their website and they list um, their sort of concrete theology, like we pointed out, you know. Yeah, they have scriptures for all their little sections here, but just the ones like the first one, Bible. Um, I just kind of looked up what the verses were because they're just listed there, like Deuteronomy, Psalms, you know, and. So I'm just looking at them to see, all right, what do they say? Do they follow these? And I was just realizing, yeah, I don't even think they 
really paid attention to what these verses actually say. They're just kind of in there in general, like, because it's about the Bible or about God's word. So Deuteronomy 4, verses 1 and 2 says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. So, <laughs> well, and that, you know, we talked about this with the Easter sermon. It was about a 25, 30 minute sermon split into two different talks that Mike Todd presented. And he mentioned two specific scripture references. So Moses there in Deuteronomy says, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you. Well, Mike Todd wasn't going to the statutes and the rules. He was giving you his understanding of the Bible mm-hmm. and sort of Bible speak scripture speak without actually pointing you to the word of God, uh, which I don't think is necessarily what Moses was exactly just winging it there. I know what he could do is just do like a, a topic. He'd be like, all right, we're going to discuss these scriptures in our section on the Bible. I'm going to read the scriptures and we're going to just discuss it. That would be pretty deep for him. Well, there's a lot of things Mike Todd could do, but, um, but yeah, you wanna... well, just a couple more, like, uh, this next verse is, I was thinking exactly what Jesus would, would say to them. Uh, Matthew twenty two twenty nine. uh, Jesus is talking, I think to the Pharisees or scribes, he says, but Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know, neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And yeah, that's true. They don't know the scriptures at all, or the power of God to overcome sin. Right. So, you know, and I think that's just part and parcel of that word of faith, prosperity, gospel preaching, um, because it really flies in the face of a lot of what Christ teaches, you know, pick up your cross daily. You know, you will be hated in this world. Um, you know, Paul with a thorn in the flesh, you know, my grace is sufficient for you. All of these ideas, right? Um, I think really just fly in the face of that. Then again, you tie in the ideas of Mary, Queen of Heaven. Um, God is not omniscient. All these, you know, little droplets of information that you kind of have to piece together, and it's hard to with with uh, such a production. And I think that's why people miss this, or maybe they get—I'm not going to say tricked or whatever, but like led to believe that you really heard a lot of the Word of God when you actually step back and listen to it and you're like, we didn't really hear much of the word of God, but we heard a lot of Mike Todd's thoughts on the word of God, which is either right or wrong. But if he's not actually pointing to the scripture and explaining it and exegeting it and stuff like that, then you're kind of just, you know, do I trust Mike Todd? Do I believe him? Does he sound, you know, authoritative? Then it's good enough. Right. And I mean, a pastor is supposed to be, teaching the word of God. Yeah. And he doesn't bring up scripture a lot. I mean, they even have John 17, 17 on there says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So if you're not teaching them what God actually says, or gosh, just at least plan on giving like five verses that go with your topic, like give them the word of God and let them test what you're teaching through that word. Yeah, I mean, it would be good, you know. And again, doesn't mean that you're necessarily right on it, 
but I think it's far more beneficial and it gives, you know, what you're saying, at least more trustworthiness. And, um, cause again, like I said, he's up there, there's no Bible in his hand, just Bible speak. Uh, it just, you know, I don't think it's a good look. And then when you start veering from what we would consider biblical doctrine, you're kind of like, yeah, it makes sense why you would veer, right? The word isn't in front of you. You're just, you know, that's you why are. I'd like to write a lot of my stuff out. Like when we do devotionals, I sort of manuscript it because even when I would go to the jail and just preach, you know, the Bible studies, I would manuscript like 11 pages because I don't just trust myself to get up there and just wing it. Like I got 37 years worth of a whole bunch of different teachings and like, yeah. I'm, I don't really trust myself to just sort of off the cuff dive into, you know, deep discussions on the Bible. I want to look it up. Right. And again, you guys may disagree with what we're talking about here, uh, but it was at least researched and we did open the word, right. And those sorts of things. So whenever I see somebody just kind of winging it and talking about the Bible without really talking from the Bible, I think it's risky. And we see a lot of that with Mike Todd. And that's just one of the many reasons I think to be leery and concerned for him and transformation church in general. So yeah, I was just any... going to bring up, it was just a funny thought. Um, when I was watching uh, a Stephen Furtick sermon, and I don't know if he does this often, but, you know, he's got the word up there in his hand, but he's like flailing it around and like not being careful with it physically. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's like ripping his pages. He's like crinkling, you know, he's just he's physically handling it wrong, which is how he does handle the word when he preaches that's but what did you, you ever notice that though he like has it he's like one-handed and just kind of like holding it up in the air and maybe i don't want like, i mean i don't remember seeing that don't but treat it like that <laughs> uh, so do you have any final thoughts here on mike todd transformation or really just church culture modern american church culture before we roll into our next news story now let's go ahead we talk about church culture all the time yeah, so I'm sure we're not done. <laughs> uh, the next story, though, that we want to talk about is really just Chicago uh, is kind of the, I guess, the topic here. But if you guys saw in the news over the last weekend, uh, the teen takeover that happened in Chicago, um, there's some video if you're watching on the video. Uh, but do you want to read this first paragraph? Um, two teenage males, ages 16 and 17, were shot while standing in a crowd during the mayhem on Saturday night as hundreds of young people smashed cars, blocked traffic, and fought in the streets. Both victims were transported to a hospital and listed in fair condition, according to Fox 32 Chicago. Yeah, just chaos last weekend in sort of downtown Chicago. But, you know, Chicago... And maybe it's not necessarily just about Chicago, but Chicago, like Portland, you know, San Francisco, you could lump in there kind of any one of these, you know, really Democrat or as we would say, kind of satanic strongholds in this nation. They really seem to be like almost devolving into third world countries right before our eyes, Yeah, uh, you know, because in Chicago, just this week, Walmart, they announced they were going to quickly close uh, four stores that lose tens of millions of dollars per year. And they're just the latest closures in Chicago. Um, Walmart's joining Tyson Foods. Um, 
Tyson Foods, Boeing, Caterpillar, uh, Citadel, which is a large hedge fund. They're all planning to leave Chicago. These are all mega, like, big businesses. These aren't just mom and pop shops, which are probably leaving in droves too. Yeah. These are huge corporations. I think Citadel's a $51 billion hedge fund. We know Boeing and Caterpillar, but uh, Walmart, when they were discussing the closure and leaving Chicago, they just kind of spoke of the loss of revenue is kind of the reason for them leaving. Um, But it's pretty obvious, I think, to see why they're leaving in this article here from the Daily Caller, I think, highlights it very well. Um, Do you want to read this section here? Chicago saw a 40% increase in crime from 2021 to 2022, including a 56% increase in sexual assault reports, a 15% increase in robberies, a 52% increase in thefts, and a 132% increase in motor vehicle thefts. Last weekend alone, 34 people were shot in Chicago. In several other weekends this year, the number has been higher than 50. That's insane. And that's just one year. That's 2021 to 2022. That's like living in Des Moines, Iowa, and then one year later becoming old Chicago. Can you just imagine like that many people shot, 34 people in a weekend? Like you're just like, well, if you're sick, you're not going to the ER. Like, you know, they're just too busy to see you. Like 132% motor vehicle theft increases. It's nuts, right? But Chicago, I think, you know, becoming what, you know, you would see in third world countries, you know, this sort of chaos. Um, but, you know, Portland's another one, another one of those kind of satanic base camps, if you will. Um, but Walmart's closing all of its stores in Portland as well. And, uh, at least in Portland, Walmart was pretty forthright about why they were leaving. Um, they said the closure, which will result in nearly 600 employees being laid off, comes after a statement by Walmart CEO Doug McMillan in December of 2022, noting that record-breaking retail theft had undercut the company's economic performance of late. He said theft is an issue. It's higher than what it's historically been, McMillan told CNBC. He said prices will be higher and stores will close. Um, And then he mentioned at the end there, uh, the executive added, if Oregon authorities failed to address rampant shoplifting, which they will, right? But what's probably the cry you're going to hear? Racism, (laughs) systemic oppression. They're closing the grocery stores we just got done robbing. Um, But Nike, Cracker Barrel, they're even closing their stores in Portland. And then I just read a story this week that REI was closing uh, down, like basically their main store in downtown Portland because of theft. Then you go to San Francisco, again, another satanic base camp. Whole Foods would just built like a showcase store in downtown San Francisco a year ago. They're having to close their store after a year citing employee safety from all the theft and drugs and crime that's just around and infesting everything. Can you imagine how much money they lost? Like for them to buy the property, you know, to move in there. a fortune. Well, because Walmart. And now it's 
Whole Foods closed down this mega store and they've already moved all their employees to other stores. So they're like, yeah, we'll reopen if we can, but we ain't got no employees here anymore. So they're not going to reopen, you know, and these officials aren't doing anything. And I'm not sure if you guys saw the video this last week of the woman. She was kind of filming on her phone, walking through Walmart. And she's like crying as she walks through this Walmart in Chicago. That's been like almost completely ransacked. You know, like I said, it looks like something from a third world country. Like it reminds me of like those old videos you would see when like, uh, kind of like a medical aid plane would land in like some, you know, backwoods airport in the middle of Africa. And people would just like flock up to the back of the plane. They like throw the, you know, medical supplies out and people would just be like ravaging for it as much as they could. That's what it sort of seemed like. Although funny enough, if you watch the video, <laughs> there's like certain sections where she's going by like uh, the produce and there's like a large section where like celery and lettuce and like hasn't been touched. <laughs> and there's like a part where she walks and looks and it. Pretty sure you can see like a bunch of like sparkling water. Nobody took. You're like, nobody wants vegetables and water. Are you nuts? You know, it's crazy. It's like all these government programs to help people not live in poverty, yet theft is getting higher and higher. It's just worse. Yeah. I mean, because they're really enticed because like the uh, Whole Foods CEO said, or I'm sorry, the Walmart CEO said, if these politicians fail to do anything, then what's the ramifications? You know, we can open a Whole Foods in downtown San Francisco. And we've seen for the last couple of years, these videos coming from California and stuff where teens or whatever, just run into Target and just grab garbage bags full of stuff and nobody can do anything. It's not even like against the law. They just sort of no harm, no foul. People you can just take what you want. Defund the police and all that. Then Right. And that's, uh, you know, what the mayor elect of Chicago basically said in his response. And this was a, a response to the teen takeover that happened. Um, just, uh, yeah, that teen takeover that happened just last weekend. But you could lump this easily in with the Chicago theft or the Walmart thefts and all this sort of stuff. But he said, in no way do I condone the destructive activity we saw in the Loop and Lakefront this weekend. It is unacceptable and has no place in our city. However, why would you say however? <laughs> however, it is not constructive to demonize youth who have otherwise been starved of opportunities in their own communities. Johnson, a progressive who defeated moderate Democrat Paul Vallis earlier this month. That was his statement. And who was this Paul Vallis? Just for your guys' own information. Well, he was only the guy that was endorsed by the police union. Uh, who needs that guy, right? When you can elect Brandon Johnson, who was a vocal defund the police advocate. You know, so you defund the police. And what do you get? More crime. So now these these teens that are destroying everything are just, they're victims. Yeah. Like they're you said, the victim. right. The criminals they, are the victim. He said they've been starved of opportunities in their own communities. How does he know? Does he know where they came from? What community? Like, I mean, 
I would assume he's believing they've come from the communities that they're in, right? They've been starved of these opportunities. But I did just want to mention on him saying uh, he doesn't condone this because he can say what he wants. Uh, Actions speak louder than words and beliefs speak louder than platitudes, which is what that was. It was a simple platitude because he does condone this. Um, And I think this is what godless or what a godless political party and these godless politicians have been promoting in these cities for decades. Um, Because think of what he said in that statement. Like Nikki said, these teens destroyed destroyed downtown because they were starved of opportunities. So it's not their fault. They're just. Well, I would assume he believes it's his fault then. Because how can they be starved of opportunity when that same godless political party that he's a part of, they've been in charge in Chicago since 1927. Nearly 100 years is the last time a non-Democrat mayor was elected in Chicago. Now, to be fair, the Democrat Party today is a far cry from what the Democrat Party once was. But if they're starved of opportunities, it's his fault. So how is he going to fix it? And this is a huge problem with so much of our politics today. We keep electing the same people to fix the problems they caused. Yep. I mean, you have these politicians that have been in Washington, your city government for 30 years, ruining your cities. And now somehow they're going to show up on a white horse to solve all the problems they created. It's not going to happen. So if you're Chicago and your city's devolved into a third world country wasteland, Electing a guy who's been there the whole time with the exact same political beliefs and theology isn't going to fix it. (laughs) It's just not. But, you know, like this Democrat party that Brandon Johnson is a part of, they've been really pushing this sort of minorities and really especially the blacks, you know, they're oppressed, right? They're victims. As he said, you're starved of opportunities. There's racism around every country or around every corner. That's kind of the narrative that they've been pushing for more than a decade now. And this is sort of the result of that. You know, you make your bed, right? Now you're laying in it. Businesses are bailing. Cities are completely unsafe. And you're just living in a third world country. Well, you convince people they're a victim and oppressed. Yeah, they're going to lash out. Like, they're going to act crazy. Right. And then all the times that you see these, these kids you know, whatever, destroy something downtown and your leaders go, well, you know, they've really been held down and oppressed. So it makes sense. And they're like, "Eh, it does make sense. Let's go rob Foot Locker. I've been oppressed. I need new shoes. You can get away with it. If you're an oppressed minority, you can get away with crime. You can get away with murder. Pretty much what he's saying. Well, we do see, you know, examples of that in some regards. But think about this. Like the message is you've been oppressed by these corporations or white people, generally, whatever it happens to be, you know, or they just go bigger, right? The entire system is oppressing you. So if you need to act out, if you need to destroy the city, rob stores blind, it's justified. So now that you've robbed these stores to the point where they just get up and leave, take their business elsewhere, which is not easy, right? Boeing is a massive company. Caterpillar is massive. To move an operation like that is not done just willy-nilly. It costs a fortune to do that. Like this right? kind of stuff is really going to just divide our country. Like 
like a civil war. This is the kind of stuff that's going to cause a civil war. Well, that's most likely what they're going for. Um, but like these stores all leave. So what are these, like, what are they going to do? And what are these politicians going to say when their citizens have nowhere to buy food? All the Walmarts are gone. All the grocery stores are gone. What are they going to say when there's nowhere to buy or nowhere to buy food from anymore? Like, we know what they're going to say, which is sad and disgusting, right? They're going to say something to the effect of like, well, you know, there's grocery stores still open in Beverly Hills. Why are there grocery stores in Beverly? Well, there must be a lot of white people in Beverly Hills. It's racism. It's kind of easy to figure out. You can't buy food because of racism, not because teens and, you know, people have just completely robbed these businesses blind. It's racism, whatever happens to be, right? It's just lunacy. And this, among many other reasons we've discussed here on this show, is why the Democrat Party in its current iteration is pretty satanic, we would consider, because those who follow these godless leaders the closest they're the ones who suffer the worst. Chicago, no more Democrat stronghold in the country. And yet, what's the result of it? Are they flourishing? Are they thriving? Are people safer and more prosperous? No. The very people that give these guys the power are the ones suffering the most under their reign. Um, It's very satanic. And spare me the nonsense of like, Oh, well, Brandon Johnson's the son of a preacher. How could he be godless? Don't want to hear it. You know, if you're not done talking about godless preachers, right? Yeah. You know, I would take Ben Franklin's atheism over Brandon Johnson's supposed faith any day of the week. (laughs) Yeah. You know, because if you're the kind of person who would advocate for defunding the police, you don't understand the nature of man, right? You don't advocate for personal responsibility. But instead, it's victimhood theology. You promote this victim culture. I would only conclude, I could only conclude, the spirit's not in you. You don't come to those uh, decisions and those thought processes by a deep study of God's word. It's a complete absence of God's word that leads you into those places. And, you know, places like Chicago, you know, black people there have been voting exclusively, basically Democrat for decades. And again, these cities are turning into third world countries. Um, and the response from these politicians like Brandon Johnson is, yeah, just give us more of that. More of that because you deserve it. And Nobody I would, wants to go to Chicago anymore on a field trip. Didn't you go there when you were in like fourth grade? Yeah, I would never go. Nobody's, never send my kids there. Nobody's anymore. taken a, a class on a field trip to Chicago anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and... It just, this is Satan. You know, I think we talked about this last week, maybe, or the week before. But this is Satan. Because, you know, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So those who are here steal, killing, and destroying, much like these politicians, you know, you would have to say are children of Satan. Mm -hmm. Um, That's who they're following. That's whose orders they're enacting. Um, Destruction and chaos is the plan. And I think we see it working in many of these cities, most notably right now, Chicago. And it's not just, you know, like black Democrat cities. This isn't some, you know, ethnic issue per se. That's not really my point. Um, Because Portland is not a black Democrat city, but it is a Democrat city, a largely atheistic city. San Francisco, much the same way, very perverse, atheistic city. Um, 
it's largely just cities that are run or led by people that have turned away from God. You know, we live down here in Albuquerque, which, you know, a minority uh, heavy city down here, but it's the same thing here, right? There's homelessness everywhere. Uh, it's rampant. There's te- you know, tent cities all over the place. There's drugs, there's violence, there's crime everywhere. It's rampant down here. It's bad. And what's the, you know, connecting thread there between these cities? Led by politicians that have turned away from God. And this is the result, destruction and chaos. And the people who follow most closely to these politicians are the ones who suffer the worst. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're ruled by the spirit of the Antichrist, really. So, Yeah, I don't think that's sense. a stretch to say. No. You're either led by the spirit of God or you're led by this, you know, the Antichrist, the power in this world. Mm-hmm. There is no other option. And my point for all of this, really, for Chicago and this is, you know, John F. Kennedy famously said, uh, he said, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Something he also said was this country cannot afford to be materially rich and spiritually poor. Well, shame on you, JFK, you non-prophetic <laughs> fool of a man, right? I just want to rent a billboard and just put that on there. They wouldn't care. JFK would be assassinated all over again um, if he was up saying those things today. But, you know, this country, and especially like we talked about these base camps for Satan, um, they've completely abandoned any notion of what JFK is talking about here, what he's advocating here for or advocating for here. You know, what can you do for your country? Not what can they do for what can the country do for me? That's completely absent thought from a lot of modern Americans, not all, right? Um, Because we become people by and large, again, not everybody, there's certainly a large number that aren't, but far too many that are completely given over to a mindset of just, what do I want and who is going to give it to me? That's the only governing thought process that we have. Um, Everyone else can be darned, even my own progeny, even my own children that come later, later after me. Don't really yeah, care about that's them. The way, that's how politicians, that's just how they speak to us. Right. Because very self-focused. Nobody's getting elected on the JFK message anymore, right? Advocating for the betterment of the city or the country, you know, even though some may not benefit quite as greatly, but it's for the betterment of all. Nobody's advocating for that anymore. It's elect me and I'll focus on your individual needs. Your needs. Oh, kind of like the sermons at churches. It's very similar to very you focused, right? You want to feel comfortable as a trans person? Well, elect me and I'll fight to let you dress like a stripper and read to kids in a library. I'm your guy, right? You know, so many in this country just given over, it seems completely to pride, which is really self-idolatry and you know, covetousness, you could throw envy in there and really probably every form of godlessness, just completely given over to it. And we're, like Nikki said, we're seeing this bleed over into the church. And that really brings us back to Mike Todd and transformation. Because like Nikki was saying, these churches are completely focused on you. We're going to build a service all about you. Everything's focused on you. You're the focal point of every sermon, every verse. Again, just like the citizens in Chicago, right? The individual poor black person, you're the sole focus of Brandon Johnson, and he is going to take care of you. 
Yeah, it's keeping people in their poverty, and churches are keeping people in their sin. In their spiritual That's, poverty. Yeah. Right? Even if the city burns in the process, Brandon Johnson's your guy. You'll get those <laughs> shoes from Foot Locker, and you'll get those chips from Walmart free of charge. The city can burn, right? Um, but yeah, so like linking that back to transformation, Mike Todd is going to make you feel good when you leave Transformation Church on Sunday afternoon. God is for you. He's going to help you overcome. He's going to nail that obstacle to the cross and part your Red Sea. God wants you to be wealthy and full of possessions. I don't know how well, one church steal. can have so many people who have so many Red Seas to part in their life. Uh, but I, I, there, there are, I guess. Um, right? Like, no matter if he taught you heresy and you actually learned nothing about God while you were there, doesn't matter. It's about you. That's the important thing, right? If Chicago burns and all the businesses leave, who cares? You were oppressed, so take back what you deserve. Sure, you have nowhere to work anymore and all the productive businesses have gone and this city's turning into a crime-infested rat's nest. But did you get them chips? We're good then, right? It's craziness, right? So we as Christians, we've got to reject this on both fronts. You know, we must for the love of all things holy. We must reject politicians that look to be our keepers and our providers and our yeah. protectors. I mean, these people want to be our all in all. They really seek to stand in the place of God. And this is what so much of communism is. You know, we remove God entirely. The government becomes your God. We take care of everything for you. Yeah. We protect you, provide for you, everything, right? We need to reject that because these politicians are becoming increasingly comfortable filling that role. Uh, and we as you know, followers of Christ, we must see that for what it is, which is really just a usurpation of God's place as provider and protector for us, um, which is what we want. We don't want the Brandon Johnsons of the world thinking that they're the ones who's going to provide and protect and you know do everything for us. I don't trust him. <laughs> and for that matter, I don't trust Ronald Reagan or George Washington to do it either. <laughs> I want God to do it, you know, but likewise, our churches need to be focused on lifting Christ high and really bringing us low, remember, reminding us just who we are and just who Christ is, not focusing on us, right? They need to be magnifying God, teaching us how to live righteously, not walking as close to sin as we possibly can get. And you might fall in, but let's hope that you don't right? If your church isn't doing that, I don't think you're really in a church. So you should leave and go find a church. Um, and again, if you're voting for these politicians who their sole message is, I'm going to be your keeper, provider, protector, all in all, run from that guy. If their message is not building up cities and countries and states and you know, prosperity for everybody and all these sorts of things. If it's just you, 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 you run from that message. That is a prideful message. We are sinners. <laughs> we need someone to do, you know, mm -hmm. what's against our own human nature. Our founders understood this. I mean, we were just having this discussion with our kids today. I mean, our founders they had to have been close to divinely inspired, at least in the intelligence that they had. God shone a light on them. 
or maybe it was just a different time where people actually read and had critical thinking skills and debated and do, did all these things, but they understood the heart of man. They understood that man was wicked, you know, even to the point of, hey, if we put someone in charge as a president, a senator, they're going to take power. It's not an uh, if, it's a when. So how do we combat that? Checks and balances. You know, all these sorts of things that were put into place because unlike Brandon Johnson, they knew our heart was wicked. Yep. They knew we were sinners and we had to be sort of governed against our own impulses, our own sinful desires. Because when you just allow humans to have whatever they want and they're not ruled by God, it's only sin and depravity that they're going to go for. The form may look a bit different, but you know, it may not be necessarily robbing a Walmart blind in Chicago, but it might be, you know, having a family friendly drag show in your town, right? Shaking your private parts in front of a kid's face. It's all the same spirit that leads you to that place. So yeah. Nothing, nothing new. I mean, I know I go back to the very beginning a lot, like Satan tempting Eve, you know, convincing her she's missing out on something. Um, equality, being like God, you know, just that whole idea, like it's unfair. It's the same thing going on today with all this victim mentality. Um, but anyway, people vote for who represents them. So in light of like the whole church thing we've been connecting with politics and how people vote it's just it's the same thing people choose a church based on does that church represent my desires you know my flesh what i want and they don't have to change nobody wants to change they want to be told what they want is right and true yeah it's dangerous i mean we really should be aware of our own base natures and really fighting against it on many, many fronts. Um, not just political and spiritual, right? But like, I mean, our hearts are deceptive and wicked, you know, mm -hmm. you can't trust it necessarily. This we ties got, in well with the next, the next article, really. Yeah, the we'll get on that. Thing. Do you have any <laughs> uh, last thoughts here on Chicago, godless politicians? Um, you know, and these politicians are just a reflective or reflection of us, right? Yeah. When you just, yeah, when you're just voting for your own self-interest, you're going to get politicians who will placate to your own self-interest, which are generally bad. So we need to, again, look through our, or look at our politics through a biblical worldview. Yeah. Satan, um, operates through our flesh, through our desires. And we need to recognize that. Are we making just decisions in everyday life? Um, just at work with your spouse and kids are you making decisions based on what you want not what's what's best for your family yeah i mean we can bring it down to the home life not just you know for your city or yeah i mean it's the same idea of being a you know a parent that spoils their kid rotten right those kids don't turn out well when you're just like what do you want for breakfast ice cream oh well you had ice cream for dinner too oh okay oh my kid's 250 pounds well don't be so hard on the kid he's had a rough go like no man be hard on the kid train him to you know live appropriately right so we're electing these same sorts of people to be our politicians and it's destroying us as a nation um and it's leading us into all sorts of sinfulness so um 
we will move into our last news story here and maybe end on a lighter news story here, although it may be far more terrifying than what we've already discussed. (laughs) Um, We'll have to see. So do you want to read this headline? Elon Musk says he will launch rival to Microsoft-backed chat GPT. And I didn't really know what that was. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you don't really have to for this. You want to just read those? Okay. Uh, Billionaire Elon Musk said on Monday he will launch an artificial intelligence AI platform that he calls Truth GPT to challenge the uh, the offerings from Microsoft and Google. Uh, he says, I'm going to start something which I call Truth GPT, or a maximum truth-seeking AI that tries to understand the nature of the universe, Musk said in an interview with Fox News Channel's Tucker Carlson. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know. Truth AI. Could this be the uh, ushering in of the Antichrist? Or just an antichrist or are we just super paranoid because uh, elon musk says here he wants to create ai to search the nature of the universe which in times gone by god <laughs> would be the one who would tell us of the meaning and purpose of the universe yeah but now elon musk and his ai program want to step into the place of god and define the nature of the universe for us. That's terrifying. That is really weird. So it is creepy whether or not it's the Antichrist. I think that people will look to people love technology. They love science. People worship science. You know, they even put pit science against God and creation. And but I mean, their version of science is leaving out God, but God and science go together. Right. And, you know, with AI, it's like, hey, this isn't partisan. This isn't left or right. This is this is just science. This is just computers. I mean, it's apolitical. It's right down the middle. Everyone can get on board. It's just showing you the nature of the universe. Right. You know, they all worship the beast. Uh, I don't know, you know, because it's not just down the middle. Right. Because AI is just algorithms like every other programming for computers uh you know every computer-based program is built on algorithms and whoever's building and inputting the information into the algorithm you know that's going to play a role and their worldview is very important in that and elon musk is not a believer so this nature of the universe truth-seeking ai is not going to be based on a biblical worldview it's going to be based on you know elon musk's atheistic you know, go populate Mars, um, you know, in vitro fertilization baby uh, sort of mindset. So, and it's kind of sad, right? Because if Elon Musk would just pick up a Bible and read, he would get the answers that he's looking for. But instead, he's going to build this machine that'll give him those answers. And it's just, you know, it makes my mind go to the place that, yeah, many others will follow this. Yeah, I I just, because he says, they, um, that the, what was it, the, the Microsoft-backed one says that they were training their AI to lie. So if yeah. this happens, again, truth outside of God is a lie. I'm, 
And this is sort of like we talked about with the Mike Todd Bible speak without really letting the Bible speak. You know, Musk telling you that's a lie. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'll get my truth from the word of God. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not saying I don't believe you on certain things, but like you're not the arbiter of all truth and you don't get to decide what ultimate truth is, especially when you don't have a biblical worldview. And, you know, to kind of what Nikki was saying to, you know, people will worship it because we already worship science. So many people Mm -hmm. like I've heard it said, and this was a while ago, but, you know, when AI gets fully up and running, which I don't think will be that far in the future, I think it's probably sooner than we would expect it to be. Yeah. Um, that AI would have, I think it's like general AI could have those terms wrong, but it would be the equivalent of a person with a 10,000 IQ. And for comparison, they said, you know, Einstein might be considered the smartest man to have ever lived, which, you know, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't think it's really all that relevant, but they said he would basically have a 200 IQ. So this AI thing is going to, in a sense, be like God amongst these mere mortals. If Einstein's considered, you know, a drooling, mouth-breathing buffoon before this AI, then, you know, there, there will be people, you know, again, how many of them? Who knows? But uh, they would worship it when they're looking, because it's human nature to worship a God, to worship something. We're all idolizing something and worshiping something. So now you're presented with an opportunity to worship something other than the true God. And here is your, you know, truth GPT that's shown you the nature of the universe. You know, it can tell you the diagnosis to every disease you've ever had as soon, you know, all these different things, right? All hail, all worship truth GPT. I don't know. Whenever I hear stories about AI, my mind immediately goes to antichrist. I don't know if that's biblically accurate. Um, but I, mean, I, I think it's all right to question. I mean, everybody was worried about, you know, COVID being the mark of the beast just because they were saying you have to have it in order to come into the store so you can't buy anything. Well, certainly like, a forerunner. Right. A so, test run. I mean, it's, it's not crazy to just be a little leery of this. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's crazy. I think we need to be yeah. considering because the technology is the future and, and it's the whole, the revelation, you know, just revelation. Uh, I have 1315 here. It says, and it, talking about the second beast, was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. So I just wonder if AI is an image in some way that people will worship. Yeah, maybe it can usher in minority report where it knows that you won't worship it. I mean, and it would make sense with a, uh, you know, mark of the beast type chip in the hand type, uh, I don't know, connection to this, this system. I mean, Elon Musk already wants to have Neuralink, which is essentially a implant in your brain, essentially like hard drive in your brain. Um, maybe he can connect that right to truth GPT. I don't know. Maybe it's a bit silly, a bit paranoid, but I am curious what you guys would think of this hypothesis of AI as the Antichrist and Antichrist, uh, Elon Musk potentially as an Antichrist or, you know, just really in general, your view on the Antichrist. I think that's fascinating. I'd like to hear from you guys on that. 
So let us know in the comments. Come join us on social media. Email us as well. Open to those discussions as well. But AI does terrify me. Uh, I wish we would quit perilously walking down this road. Yeah. But uh, yet we continue. So it's like people trying to create an image of themselves that's smarter than themselves. Yeah, it's like we know we're naturally flawed as humans, so we're going to create an image of ourselves that doesn't suffer from it our is. own flaws. It's an idol. It really is. Like, and you bowing down to it and praying to it, and now we're going to have this AI, and it's going to be smarter than us, and it's going to tell us what truth is. Even to think, listen, guys, I'm going to build a computer program that's going to tell us the truthful nature of the universe. And you're like, okay. Go back up to uh, that. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. He says... um, a super intelligent AI can write incredibly well and potentially manipulate public opinions. I'm like, isn't that what's going on already? Like, that's what humans do. So how is AI more dangerous in that respect? Well, it's more trustworthy. It's not a human with preconceived notions and political bents. It's a computer. But it's pre-programmed. Sure, but people will overlook that. They will really think it's telling them the truth, which is really scary. Yeah. They're trust it more than humans. Well, so whether it's the Antichrist or just a spooky, creepy machine, yeah. it does creep me out. And uh, Elon Musk is beginning to creep me out more. So uh, let yeah. us know what you guys think about that story. Uh, I'd like to hear from you on that. Yeah, Tell me I'm paranoid discussion. and crazy and I just don't understand the Bible well. <laughs> I know. I will take your word for well, it. Like I've totally know. taken verses out of context that probably doesn't even apply. Yes, so but... shame on us. Um, we are not saying this is what it is. It's just maybe a bit yeah. fun, but we do want to end with our Bible topic today, um, especially in light of, you know, Chicago and Elon Musk. I think us understanding sin becomes very important. And again, it's a topic that we don't think gets discussed enough, even in church today. It doesn't get discussed enough. So we, we love to talk about what we've been set free from, though, like not negative it's not a downer it's just like talk about it christ came to set us free from so yeah i mean you shouldn't run from sin you shouldn't be hiding from it you shouldn't have a pastor that tries to soft sell well you shouldn't (laughs) run from recognizing sin yeah the topic (laughs) you shouldn't run from like your own history with sin you got to confront it and yeah be grateful for what you've been set free from Mm -hmm. so we want to end um again with our bible topic our discussion of Mark Jones's book, Knowing Sin. And we are in chapter five this week. You can find the previous four chapters um, back in the catalog there. Give them a listen. It's a great book. But this week's uh, chapter title was Sin Remains. Hello, darkness, my old friend. And, you know, this chapter really focused on the doctrine of indwelling sin. And he started with this nice quote from Thomas Watson, the Puritan preacher. Thomas Watson said, Sin makes a man worse than a toad or a serpent. The serpent has nothing but what God has put into it. Poison is medicinable. But the sinner has that which the devil has put into him. Yikes. And uh, again, that's why we need to resist our own impulses and urges. uh, Because if it's not of God you know, in our own sinful nature, and it's of the devil. And uh, we don't want to be given into that. So this sort of indwelling sin, you know, is it's a part of us. It's a part of every one of us. 
Um, and it's a part of us from the day of our birth until the day of our death. It's going to be a part of us. Uh, we'll be dealing with sin. We'll be fighting against it. And at times we'll be losing to sin throughout the entirety of our lives, right? We're never going to completely best this thing called sin in this life. Again, so we shouldn't be ignorant of it. That's why we have to address it and be aware of it. Yeah, we're supposed to fight against it, even though, I mean, we might like fail at times, we might give in, but it's a constant battle. Yeah, and through the process of progressive sanctification, well, we should fail less. We should overcome right, right. more. Yes. The same sins that afflicted us, you know, today should not afflict us in 30 years, right? We should be making progress, but it doesn't right. mean we'll ever stop. And uh, Mark Jones said, few believers attempt to deny the presence of sin in them after conversion. Some have vainly imagined they can attain or come close to perfection in this life. But such a view is hardly worth addressing, given clear teachings of scripture on this matter. And it made me chuckle because I kind of had two thoughts when I read that. First one, you know, we've talked about Asbury University quite a bit recently, and Asbury University is a Wesleyan holiness university. And Wesleyan holiness actually teaches Christian perfection in this life or entire sanctification in this life. So it's funny that he's like, no one even believes that. And you're like, yeah, some do. <laughs> and uh, I just wonder, like, when do you know you're entirely sanctified? Like, you don't have evil desires? You have to ask somebody at Asbury. But the second thing it made me think of is, because we've kind of discussed this many times, clear teachings in Scripture mean very little in many of the American churches today. Like, just ask Rick Warren. We've discussed that recently, right? Clear teachings, eh, not quite so clear in certain people's eyes. But uh, Jones goes on in this chapter to give this, I think, an excellent quote from another. So the whole book, Knowing Sin, is kind of a Puritan response to sin, sort of the way the Puritans address sin, which, again, they were very good at. They addressed it quite, uh, I guess, eloquently, uh, often. They, they kind of made a point of it. But this preacher, Samuel Bolton, said, So a godly man may be more troubled with sin when it is conquered than when it reigned. And then in response to that, Jones notes, We are more troubled by sin. Uh, we are more troubled by sin than when we were formerly living in darkness. Now we see its horrors, mainly because we have our eyes open to the glorious God against whom sin is committed. Mm -hmm. you know, so after you get saved, yeah. the spirit is in you. We now have more trouble. We should have more trouble with sin than when we were living completely right. sinning lives. As you grow closer to God and just more aware of his holiness, and you just see that contrast. So sin is just darker to you the, the closer you get to God. Yeah, I mean, it. it certainly should be. And this is one of our main reasons why we speak so often against these affirmation preachers on this show, you know, because rather than showing people their sins and really the danger of that sin, they essentially serve as like a foil against the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is trying to reveal your sin to you, you know, bring you that sort of guilt or shame that leads you to repentance. And Andy Stanley's there playing the foil against the Holy Spirit, right? They're looking to comfort people in those sins, really ensuring that they would continue in that sinful lifestyle. 
You know, so the Andy Stanleys of the world, they'll tell you, you know, God loves you just as you are. He created you just as you are, you know, therefore, don't worry, right? You're accepted just the way you are, you know, and that's really just a reason to never leave that old man, as Paul would call it, behind. You're being told it's perfectly acceptable to carry that old man around with you for the rest of your life. Don't want to offend that old man. (laughs) Yeah, it just convinces you to be stuck in these sinful lifestyles that, in fact, even against their affirmation preaching, separates you from God. And that's a shameful thing, and I think it needs to be spoken against. But uh, Jones goes on in here, he says, Because God is God, and we are his creatures, we are necessarily under his moral law. And this is true of every human being who has ever lived. But by nature, we are also under another law, the dominion of sin. And he says, The dominion of sin is broken, so that strength of original sin is truly weakened. In Christ, we are able now to mortify sin by the Spirit. But this, the, uh, by this law, sin's dominion, still works with great power. But God is greater. God is greater. is greater. And it's in us. And then Thomas Watson, he added a quote after that, um, sort of speaking on this idea of dominion of sin. He said, where it is least felt, it is most powerful. Mm-hmm. They find not its power, or yeah, they find not its power are under its dominion. So again, when we get saved, as we walk with, you know, Christ longer, our sanctification takes place, we should be recognizing sin. We should be feeling that tug more prominently. You should be leery when you're in a spot where you're living sinfully and you don't recognize it or you don't, you know, it doesn't bother you. It's not causing you any grief or anguish. Like Thomas Watson says, now you're kind of completely under its dominion. That's a really dangerous spot to be. Um, And, you know, we... I was just like, you don't want to even like get close to sin or just tempt yourself. Some people just like um, getting close just to be tempted. Like they enjoy the temptation, but they're like, I won't give in. And Like we should fear even getting close or even putting ourselves in a situation where we would be tempted. We shouldn't even desire that situation. Yeah. And that's why, you know, when we talk about things like the LGBTQ community, and, uh, you know, this sort of stuff. And, you know, no one's saying they can't come to church. They can't hear the gospel and give their lives to Christ. But when the message is, well, you can be saved and just completely live in this exact same lifestyle. And they continue on in it and they feel no shame. They feel no remorse to live in these immoral um, lifestyles that God has already spoken against. The only conclusion you can come to is, well, the spirit must not be in them. Because you won't just continue unabashedly, unashamed, live these sinful lifestyles because the Holy Spirit isn't going to allow you to. That's the Spirit working in you. The Spirit is good at His job. He's going to bring you in that or bring you along on the sanctification process. So, conviction of sin. That's a discipline of God. Like, God disciplines His children. Like, what kind of a good father doesn't discipline his children and lets them continue in disobedience? No, I mean, again, that's why, you know, anybody from all sorts of sin backgrounds, we want them there. We want them to come to the church and give their heart to the Lord. 
But part of that is leaving that lifestyle behind, whether it's LGBTQ issues, covetousness, greed, gluttony, whatever it is, leave it behind. Gluttony's the hardest one. Yeah, that's probably the church potlucks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you don't hear a lot of preachers preaching against gluttony these days. Whenever you're gonna have a church potluck, just do a little a little snippet sermon on that. (laughs) You might not have a church very long, but you know, we we never truly overcome you know, our pensions towards sin, like we said in this life, it's a part of us. Um, but with the Holy Spirit, you know, as Nikki mentioned, we do have the power to resist those sins. Yeah. And then through our progressive sanctification, we should begin to sin less and grow in righteousness. That's the sanctification mm-hmm. process. And, um, you know, I would say, you know, a truly righteous person, they would never say something like, well, you know, I used to struggle with envy, but I no longer struggle with the sin of envy. like. I don't think a truly righteous person would say that because they know as soon as they'd say it, they'd look over and see that their co-worker just got a raise or a promotion, right? And then that envies right back, you know? They just got a raise over you and, oh crap, now I'm envious again, right? Like Um, the whole entire sanctification thing, I I guess I haven't pondered it like too much, but it makes me think, like, is there a point where God stops sending you uh, trials to test your faith? Has your faith just been proven true and you're no longer tempted? I think there is. It's called um, death. <laughs> when he yeah. takes you home, he realizes the tests have run their course. Uh, right. You can come home now. So, um, but I think, yeah, if you're righteous and you're moving along, like you would never say, I'm no longer tempted by envy or whatever. Like you would instead be like, I know that I'm always prone to envy, it's a part of me. It so keeps you I'm humble. Yeah, really? you're going to be humble. You're going to be in prayer. You're going to be reading the word, you know, all these sorts of things, asking the spirit to give you, you know, humility, walk in love, you know, be grateful and gracious, you know, all these sorts of things that are going to help you fight against envy. You wouldn't just be like, I don't need to pray about envy anymore. I've no longer suffered with that sin. Like, like we desire to be entirely sanctified, but we know that comes when we get our glorified bodies and. Um, we're in heaven. There is no more temptation. There's no more sin. Like that's what we long for is to be just completely perfect in fellowship with God. You know, what yeah. it'll be like to just completely free of sin. And why is Jesus still talking to Nikki? I thought he'd come over here by now. I don't <laughs> think we'll have those thoughts up there, right? But he goes on in this chapter and he speaks about um, mortifying sin. He actually speaks about mortifying sin quite a bit in this chapter, um, which in the sense of what he's talking about means to kill or subdue sin. And scripture speaks about mortifying sin, at least in certain translations. Uh, the King James Version, if you read Romans 8.13, says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And here again, you know, progressive Christianity teaches something polar opposite to this, which is again, why we need to reject it, right? They don't teach you to mortify that sin, to kill it or subdue it. They teach you it's okay, right? They teach, you know, feel comfortable, accept that sin, accept your flesh. And that's a very dangerous teaching to tell people. The whole um, comfort thing. You'll be comfortable here. We're not going to make your flesh uncomfortable at all. Like, Yeah, as soon as you get sin. uncomfortable, we'll put the lights on and 
play some music. It is kind of weird churches that want to do the dark thing because it is like in scripture, like sin is darkness. You bring your sins out into the light to be exposed. Movie theaters and concerts are dark. So it's more exciting. Um, But Jones brings up a really important point near the end of this chapter uh, that I don't think can be said enough in today's society. He says, we cannot be blamed for an outward temptation, which is why our Lord was free from sin, despite facing many and varied temptations himself. But the act of the soul that yearns after that which is evil is sin. For example, an inward temptation towards idolatry, sexual immorality, or homosexuality, even if not acted upon outwardly, is a sin, for it involves a desire after things not agreeable with God's law. Yeah, and James 1.15 came to mind. It says, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So just even the desire is a sin. Yeah, I mean, we need to renew our minds. I used to say, like, the temptation isn't the sin, it's the acting on it, but really the desire, like, your desires are sinful. It's not the outward act. and Letting those thoughts roll around in your brain is a sin as well. I mean, lust is a sin, but you can have a desire still without thinking on it consciously. Like, you have to just, the desire itself is sin. Yeah. And I think this is just really a point that needs to be hammered home. You know, like Nikki read with James, you know, desiring sin, even though you don't act Mm -hmm. is still a sin. And again, this is one of the false teachings. I believe Mike Todd has preached. I think he's preached very recently. I've heard that it's the act that's sinful. That as long as, you know, the thoughts is as far as it goes, then you're fine. It's just the act that's sinful. Which, if that's the case, then why would we need to take every thought captive? As right. Paul teaches us in Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, the thoughts are sinful. Um, so, you know, just saying, well, I'm, you know, I'm a homosexual and I have homosexual tendencies and desires, but I don't act on them. Well, you're sinning and you need to take those to God and mortify those sins mm-hmm. and die to those sinful desires. Just the same as I would need to die to lusting and desiring after other women it's no different if i just sat there and was like i'm not actually going to meet with a prostitute i'm just thinking about it you know well it's the same thing you know they're both sin so we don't do ourselves any good in our spiritual life by downplaying you know this sort of ever-present dominion of sin you know, and we don't do ourselves any good by dismissing the extent to which sin infects our entire being, our whole life. You know, it's only when we're aware of sin and our really our propensity that, you know, towards sin that we can come to God rightly and kind of seek respite and forgiveness from those sins. Um, because acceptance of sin, like we see so much of in t- today's world, identity in sin, which is super dangerous, and then just largely tolerance of sin. Those are all sins in and of themselves. You know, it's an act of rebellion against God to accept or tolerate that which he doesn't accept or tolerate. And we have so many politicians and even preachers that are telling you it's okay to accept and tolerate that which God has already said he doesn't accept and tolerate. You should run from that. 
So I'll end with one last quote here from Jones. He says, Ignorance of the nature of indwelling sin leads to a failure to prepare for battle against uh, for battle against it that rages in our souls and tests the loyalty of soldiers of Christ. Good one. So do you have any final thoughts here on anything we've discussed? Any of the stories we discussed before we roll into our sermon recommendation? Um, no, go ahead. All right. So for our sermon recommendation, in honor of the recently deceased Charles Stanley, I went and looked up the most viewed sermon that Charles Stanley's ever preached because I've never listened to Charles Stanley by and large. I'm sure I've heard him before, but I've never sought him out. So this one has 12 million views on YouTube. It talks about taking control of your thoughts. So if you want to go and uh, hear a sermon by Charles Stanley, a lot of people seem to have liked this one. So you can find it in the show notes. And uh, I don't have any reason to think it would be bad. I know that there are certain things, I guess, that we, you know, we did have a point in time where we were going to discuss Charles Stanley, but it doesn't seem like it's worth it anymore. <laughs> He's no longer with us, and it would almost just be spiteful at this point. So we don't want to be spiteful. So go give that sermon a listen and uh, make sure you guys come back on Monday. We'll be doing our daily devotionals again. And I have a topic I want to discuss next week. We'll see if I forget about it or if news just takes uh, takes it away from us. But Christian trauma is something that's been getting under my skin lately. So we'll see if we have enough bandwidth to talk about that next week. And uh, if you guys can correct me in my errors there. But uh, yeah, make sure you come listen to us. We'll be back on Saturday. Leave us a nice review subscribe, do all the things you should do to help the algorithms. And uh, we would certainly appreciate it. All right. God bless. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp.